Well, as we turn to Philippians chapter 4, my question to myself and my question to you as I was studying and kind of closing out this uh, series was, where are you in the race? Right? Where are you? We're, we're all in different places. Some are, are just starting the race, right? Some are getting ready to finish the race. Some are in the middle. Some are at the hardest part of the race. Some are at the easy part of the race. But we're all in different parts of the race. And as we were singing the songs, and, and I was just thinking through them, you know, here we are to worship, right? Here we are to worship. And that really is our purpose in life, is to worship God with our life. This is why the idea of, of being legalistic should, should really never come into our minds, because we begin with the understanding and, and, and this unbelievable event that took place that we, we just can't even comprehend, which is Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And then we reflect on not only the, the payment, the, the payment, the atonement, but then you reflect on, on yourself. This is what I did. This is what I did to put Jesus on the cross. And it becomes even more um, overwhelming. And it should trigger us to think, okay, how then do I, do I worship? Not pay, right? Not pay for my atonement because that's already been done. Not, not earn my salvation because that's already been done. But how then do I, do I live? How do I run this race? How, how do I run the race? And, and it begins with, again, this idea of, of surrender, Right? In, in a race, especially in, in, a, in a team race, you have to surrender your individual will to the team's purpose, the team's goals, the team's will. And, and that's a big deal for us all here because where you are in the race, where you stand spiritually, really is, can be gauged by have you surrendered? Have you really surrendered to the Lord? And what does that mean? Well, you know, when we're young and um, cocky and confident, we think I can do all things through me. Well, I will strengthen myself, right? And then you see some of the older people in the room and you ask them, some of the people who've lived a little bit of life, some of the people who've been believers and, and, and even from being a believer to where they are right now, Life has not been easy. And you realize the more I yield up my, my individual spirit, my individuality, my autonomy, my selfishness, and give in to the Lord, the better the race goes, right? Um, the more stubborn I am, the more selfish I am, the more I think that I've got this locked down, the worse things go. And so here we are, we come before God's word and our goal and our desire, again, isn't to fit God into to our belief system. 
No, it's to come here and to yield, to surrender and say, Lord, teach me. I'm trying to run this race here and you've got tips for me. You have instructions. So many times we, we try to build things and, you know, you, you get that Ikea, you know, deal at home. And when you see it in the showroom, it's, it's so basic. It's so simple. Then you open it up and it's like got a million pieces. And you look at it and then you look at the picture and you go, well, I can do that. Right? And you put the instructions aside and then, you know, midway through you've got ten times more pieces and you can see where this thing's going real fast. And then you decide, okay, now I'm going to follow the instructions. Right? Midway through. And then things start going better again. So then what do you do? Then you put the instructions away. You go, I can get it from here. Well, this is how we live life. We, 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 we go to the Bible, right? When, when we really need something, we go to prayer and then things are going well and then we go back to ourselves. Uh-oh. Then we go back to the Bible. Then we go back to it and we live life like this. So the goal is for us to understand you are running a race. It's a continuous race that never ends. Let's stay in the race. Let's stay focused in this race. We... We learn that there's philosophies, right? In chapter one, there's philosophies for running the race and being in prayer and maintaining joy and understanding our citizenship is in heaven, not here. This is a temporary place. Um, I, you, you can take the most, whatever this means, successful people in the room and ask them if they would rather stay here or go to heaven. They would all say heaven because they know this isn't it. This isn't the big show. There's marks or checkpoints for running the race. And you could, as you're running, kind of look at yourself and, and am I this kind of person? Am I this kind of, of believer? Do I, do I run in, in unity with others? Do I play well with others? United in Christ. Uh, is there a humility in me? We learned this in chapter 2 of Philippians. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with the humility of mind regarding others as more important than yourself. Um, if you want to listen to me here, not memorize a verse. If you want to live a verse, live this verse. Live this verse. Don't memorize it. We memorize a lot of things that we don't do. Do this first. Do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing with pride and arrogance and conceit. But live with a humility of mind. You know what? Regard others as more important than yourself. That's a great mark for, for running the race. Rem remember, we're, we're not just in this like little rat maze, Right? We've mentioned this before. God, God is not punishing us like Sisyphus. You know, we, we push the boulder up and once we get to the top, it rolls back down on us again. And then we do it again every day. This is not how God operates. God has earthly joys and promises and prizes, but it's nothing compared to the future glory that we have with Him. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what we're running towards. That's what we're racing for. And like the, the big marathons that we mentioned earlier before where everybody gets a medal for finishing. You can run and be first and do it in three hours. Or you can walk the whole thing. You could take a nap in the middle of the thing. Whatever you want to do, just finish. 
And if you finish, and you get to the finish line, you get the prize, you get the victory. And again, thank, thank the Lord for that because we all run different races. But we're pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting whatever junk, whatever sin, whatever mistakes, whatever you're born into, whatever you walked yourself into. It doesn't matter. We press on. Forget what lies behind, pressing on to what lies ahead. Well, finally, we see, or we should ask the question, okay, well, how do I put this all together? How do I do it? And this is what I love about the word. Because God has methods and actions that are so different than us. We, we would not do it this way. If I said, look, you need to run the race of life. The first thing Tony James is going to do is, is write out this like list of goals. And I'm going to break them down into action steps. And I'm going to break them down into benchmarks so that I can see that I'm, I'm hitting my action steps. And then you know what I'm going to do? Like lifting weights or practice. I'm going, to, I'm going to lift more, lift harder, do it longer, do it every day. And I'm going to make this happen. That's what I would do. God doesn't lay anything out like that. So we see today, if you want to stand firm, if you want to stand firm in Christ, if you want to stand firm in this race, if you want to run a good, strong race, then you have to do it by the power of Christ. Not you. The power of Christ. And so, how do we do that? How does that look? What does that look like? Well, we see kind of three checkpoints here in Philippians 4. First, we stand firm through fellowship. Then we stand firm through forbearance. And then we finally, we're going to stand firm through faithfulness. And again, none of this is driven by your power. This is driven by the power of Christ. So verse one, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, remember Paul's in prison at the moment, right? Who I long to see my joy, my crown, this is a good church. This is a, a church he loves. This is a, a church that has his heart. He's longing to see them, to be with them, but he's writing this letter now. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So here's this great exhortation. You're running the race. Don't forget, though, stand firm. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it assumes, look, there's going to be some obstacles. There's going to be some, some trials, some labor. There's, it's going to be a tough race. This is why the whole idea of, of proming you this, this kind of this health, wealth, prosperity all the time just because you love Jesus is a very dangerous model because it's not true. Just look at the people who follow Jesus. And how many times in Philippians have we seen you will share in his what? Suffering. You will suffer. It's, it's a promise. And so be ready for the obstacles. Be ready for the tough stuff. And stand firm. Stand firm. Be ready to have what, what is that idea of standing firm, it's that idea of, you know, like I, I think of in football, sometimes they would have these crazy drills where you had to stand still and they let another guy like get a running start. 
And then they yell at you when you don't win that battle, right? And it's like, look, you, you have to stand firm. You don't give ground. You have to have strength and stability. That's, it's like being that tree that, you know, if you ran into a tree, you would just bounce right back off, right? Why? Because the tree is firmly planted. How do we do this? We saw this in Hebrews 12.1. We do this. We, we run the race with endurance. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. We run the race with endurance, says Hebrews 12.1, by fixing our eyes on the Lord. So the power then, our power is generated in the source. So stand firm in the Lord. In the Lord. Throughout this little book of Philippians, four chapters, four small chapters, we're going to see the phrase in Christ ten times, in Him twice, in the Lord nine times. That's 21 different times we're exhorted to what, what, whatever we're called to. Whatever action we're called to, we're exhorted. We do this in the Lord, through the Lord, which is supposed to remind us it's not about you, right? So you hear, stand firm, but it's in Christ. It's not because you're so awesome. The power doesn't come from you. So, so when I'm weak, because I will be weak at times, when I lose heart, when I lose confidence, when, when, I, when I get anxious, when, when, when I have legitimate fears, turn to Jesus. That's your first step. Turn to Jesus. How do we stand firm? By constantly turning our eyes to Jesus. Well, we do this then. We stand firm first through fellowship. Back to verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So we see that we're called to stand firm through fellowship. What's this idea of fellowship? Well, we see it defined right here in different ways. We see harmony. What is true fellowship? Live in harmony. We see this term comrades. We're not Russians, so we don't walk around calling each other comrades. But it's that unified idea, right? We're like brothers. We're comrades. Uh, we also see this idea of sharing. Who we share with people that we're in harmony, in unity, and fellowship with. He uses the term with, meaning it's a joint action, right? Together. And then finally, fellow workers. So we see kind of four different ways to describe this idea of, of being united or being in fellowship. So it's a calling by the power of Christ, and we do this together. We help each other out. This is why it's so important to have brethren, to have other people. We see this, um, this example then. Well, well, what do you mean by this? Well, right away we see an example of how do we, or what are you asking when you say to live in harmony and fellowship? It's real easy to be in harmony and fellowship right now, right? We all just sang songs together, we're, we're in the Word together. 
piece of cake, not a problem. Well, what about when two people get together, well, then two gals get together, and you know what? These are two gals who have been in ministry with Paul. Uh, we see this, that, that they've served together in Paul's struggle. It hasn't been easy. Paul's ministry hasn't been easy. Uh, they've ministered in the gospel, and yet there's an underpinning issue here that they're not living in harmony. There's a problem. And so he urges these two. He exhorts them, live in harmony. Make up. Be united. Be in fellowship. Turning them back again to the idea of, okay, we always want to argue about whatever those issues are, right? Whatever it is, and there's a million and one different things we can use. And what does Paul, Paul doesn't even address what it is. Just to say, get back to the harmony and get back to the ideas of the gospel. See that in verse three, the gospel. And this reminder that, look, we're, we're fighting, we're, we're ministering, we're working to preach the good news. The good news is in your sin, you can have forgiveness, you can have atonement. Why? Because Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again. That's the gospel. And so... We as fellow workers go out and share this and talk about these names in the book of life. That again is another reference to this. We're running the race to get the prize. What's the prize? You're in the book of life. Get back to what's important. Be unified in fellowship to what's important. How do we stand firm? Fix your eyes on Jesus and get back to the basics. We can rally around that, right? We can, and, and that doesn't change. It, it's fixed. Where we struggle is in our personal piccadillies and our personal issues, which is why we're encouraged here to then change that focus. Well, we see again the this this rejoice. I, I love how in Philippians things keep coming back up. Remember, remember, rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So as we're, we, we start dealing with these different issues and we're trying to be unified, understanding that the centrality of our unity is Christ, right? We stand firm by Christ. Well, we're called to rejoice. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Not sometimes, not when you feel like it, not when you feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord always, that's all times. Again, in case you don't understand what always means, right? It means, well, let me say it again. I will say rejoice. Don't miss these points. We read over them so many times. That's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Forbearing spirit, be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, that's it. Let's move on. Right? No, stop and smell the roses here. Okay? We're, we're, we're being called to stand firm. We're in a race. How do I stand firm? Well, the second point we see is stand firm through forbearance. What does that look like? Begins with rejoice, O Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds again in Christ Jesus. We see this idea of standing firm through forbearance. Forbearance is this, means it's having this gentle spirit. It's, it's a spirit that has zeal, but it's a passion and a zeal that's in gentleness. We tend to think, you know, turn on the news, right? The only people who can really have passion are the people who are doing what? Yelling and screaming. If, you're, if you don't have two or three veins popping out, then you're not doing it right. Again, this isn't, this isn't God's model at all. He says, look, I, I need you to run this race. You're going to be in a race. It's going to be hard. But you know what? You need to stand firm. How? In gentleness. It's going to be driven. You, you know what? Rejoice. Rejoice always. So it says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. If you want to be a light to the world, if you want to to be a, a walking billboard for the gospel, what is it that you want all men to know about you? That you're really, really smart and know a lot of Bible verses? Well, guess what? They're not Christians. They don't read the Bible. You know more than they do. Well done you, right? No. That's not it. What what is this that we want known to all men? In our humility, we we want them to understand, look, I live with you, I work with you, I play with you, we have the same hobbies, we're in the same family, we're in the same neighborhood, I'm just like you, I sin too. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. This is why... It's the humility gives us this gentleness, right? It gives us this gentleness. The reason why I can rejoice in this trial isn't because I like trials. I don't like trials either. It isn't because I don't get anxious. I get anxious too. It's not because I don't fear. I fear too. But all of a sudden I catch myself and I stand firm in the Lord. And all my attention turns to the Lord. And people need to see that in you. They need to see that in you. And they see it best, I hate to say this, when you're in trial. And they can see your trial. They can see your struggle. And then they see how you respond to that so very differently than everybody else. So very differently. You don't turn to vices. You, you, you don't fall apart. You don't get angry. You don't lose your cool, your self-control. You have forbearance, a gentle spirit, a gentleness about you. And so, again, we, we, we get an example. Okay, br- give me an example. I, I, I need something to, to, to anchor in on. Well, um, what about... Being anxious. Anybody here ever get anxious? Right? No. Well, first of all, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Again, thank you, Lord. Um, you know, you're, you're, you, you're worrying about this. Don't worry. Right? Uh, I'm anxious. Don't be anxious. Is, is that it? No. 
That's so good. Look, first it begins with, I, I need to encourage you. I need to exhort you. Don't be anxious. Here's how you're going to work through this, okay? But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Why are we called to be in prayer daily, constantly, right? Because when these things happen, you're already in prayer. It's, it's a lot easier to continue something than to start something anew. In everything, by prayer and supplication, and I, and I love this, with thanksgiving. A lot of people, you know, don't really, well, what do I pray for? I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. You just start thanking the Lord for the things in your, and, and you won't stop praying. Even then, when you start coming to things like the things that are making you anxious, those things that are making you anxious still in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, be thankful. So now you have a trial, you're in prayer, you're thankful in your prayer. Now, let your request be made known to God. See, we want to be thankful after He's answered the prayer the way we want it too, by the way. We only want the prayer answered a certain way, the way we want it, right? Don't be afraid to ask for what you want. Pray for miracles. Be Hannah. You're barren. Pray for that miracle. Be bold in your prayer. But be ready for what the Lord has to answer for you. And with thanksgiving, be in that prayer. But make your request be known to God. And, well, when you're anxious, when you're in trial, when you're in struggle, don't you want to be have relief? Don't you want peace? Verse 7, and the, if you do this, if you do this, if you have this forbearing spirit, you don't, stress out, spaz out, freak out, you're, you're, you're under control, you're full of joy, you turn to the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. You understand what that means? That means the things that you do not understand, you can't comprehend, you don't get, you don't know, you don't like, it's the, those why is this happening? The peace of God which surpasses all of that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're in this spiritual setting, if you're in standing firm with forbearance, in prayer, with thankfulness, then God is going to help you get through this and... It's the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. That peace of God is what's going to then help guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a a beautiful promise. And that then is how I can have joy. How do I rejoice? How do I have joy in this? Because the peace of God that surpasses anything I can even understand about this situation, that's going to guard my heart and my mind. Remember the 
that which flows from from your heart, right? You see that in, in Proverbs four twenty three. So we're to, we're to guard our hearts because from our heart is what flows our life. And God's saying, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna guard that and your mind. It's a, it's a beautiful promise. Well, the third kind of checkpoint we see here. First, we see that we stand firm through fellowship with with others. We stand firm through the spirit of forbearance, which really contradicts what the world says, right? The world says, stand firm, be tough in you. It's no, it's through the Lord, through this patient, gentle understanding and this, this fellowship in prayer with God. And then finally, we see stand firm through faithfulness, through faithfulness. Uh, verse eight, finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. So we see that we're to stand firm through faithfulness. What is this idea of faithfulness? We, we think of marriage, right? Being faithful in your marriage, being spiritual uh, or physical fidelity, being loyal. When we talk about faithfulness, we're talking about being loyal. How are we loyal? We're, we're consistent. We're, we're devoted. We see this in verse 8. We're, we're true. We're dedicated, committed. And so we stand firm by being devoted and true and dedicated and committed to these things. These things. What things? Things that are true. Things that are honorable. Right. Pure. Lovely. Good repute. Excellent. Let your mind... Dwell on these things and then be loyal to them. Be, be faithful to these things. In 1 Corinthians 13, again, we can memorize 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, right? We can memorize that. Are you, are you living it? And then what I love is the way it ends, the way 1 Corinthians 13 ends of this is what love is. It ends with It bears all things, believes in all things, hopes in all things, endures. Love never fails. So somewhere in the list we're reading, okay, love is patient, love is kind, love is is not arrogant, does not brag, does not keep accounts of wrong suffered. And somewhere in there you start seeing a little bit too much that's not you. Right? And then you start going to the buffet line and go, well, but I'm good at this, this, and that. So I'm doing pretty good, you know. But in life, that's not going to work well. That's not going to work well at all. You have to be fully committed and devoted and faithful and dedicated and commitment to living each and every one of those principles out if, if it is not going to fail. Right? Start at the end. How do you not want love to not fail? <laughs> well, then you have to commit yourself to bearing all. Believing in all, hoping in all, enduring in all. So 
you, you think of that marriage and you say, there's no way he's going to change. There's no way she's going to get better. There's no, well, you've just violated the, the last parts, which is enduring, hoping, believing, right? If you do that, then it will fail. Well, we stand firm by being fully committed. This is why it's God who paints the picture of a relationship between man and himself for the church. We are his bride. It's a, it, it's a, it's a marriage relationship. In the Old Testament, we see this, this idea of when people uh, commit idolatry. He, he calls it adultery. Because you have violated the, the marriage bond and there's no worse violation than violating that. And so God looks at Israel and says, you have committed spiritual adultery with these other gods. And so the way we stand firm is we don't do that. How? We set our minds differently. We set our minds differently. Do you think this way? When you wake up in the morning, when you think of your daily goals, when you think of your life goals, are your life goals to be true and honorable? Uh, I was, you know, we, 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 we've got some crazy things going on in our politics right now, right? Whatever way you want to look at it, one thing you can clearly see, where's the truth and where's the honor? And what's being said both ways, right? I mean, both sides throw out these crazy, absurd statements that aren't based on really trying to find truth, but just based on trying to find a tagline. It's very disheartening. And so for us, again, look, we, we don't think that way. We're, we're not trying to, like, catch you in I got you moments, Right? trick you into saying, well, oh, because, you know, you like the German national soccer team, then that must make you a Nazi, right? I mean, it's like, well, what are we, what's going on here? See, we need to set our minds on things that are true, really true. Things that are honorable and right. Where, where is honor and, and, and righteousness gone? You tell me what secular institution I'm supposed to follow that's so noble-minded and good and true that, that, that I should not follow the Word of God because they've got it right and God has it wrong. The moral base of humanity is so askew right now. Um, it's frightening. It's frightening. And so we are called, and if you want to stand firm, if you want to be faithful, devoted, true, and committed, then get your mind right. Get your mind right. Change your mind to focus now on this. Truth, honor, what's righteous, what's pure, what's lovely. Now I think of a typical teenage boy at this moment. The idea of purity and lovely, right? He doesn't think of being lovely. 
Remember, this is written to all of us. We're all, I don't care if you're in construction, I don't care if you're an athlete, you're called to, to set your mind on things that are lovely. And you think, well, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, lovely kind of goes back to the idea of what's right and what's pure, what's good, what's wholesome. And, and never before have we been under such attack of things that are unlovely, right? A lot of times it's easier to look at things and, and define them by looking at the opposite. What's unlovely? Well, let's take a look at our pop culture. Let's take a look at our art. Is this song lovely or is it unlovely? Is this movie? Is this TV show? Is it what, whatever? It's like, where, where, how are we judging and valuing what's right what's pure, what's lovely. Because, because this is how we're going to get our minds right. By seeing things and filling our hearts and our souls and our mind with things that are lovely. I've got one that's really lovely. It's called the Bible. Set your heart and mind on, on the Word of God, the purity of the Word of God, and you will start to Find yourself more attracted to things that are lovely. If there is any excellence. We live in a postmodern world that doesn't even understand how to define the term excellence. Why? Because it's all subjective. There's nothing excellent. Whatever's excellent to you is your definition of excellence. You do what you want to do. If it makes you happy, do it. Don't judge me. Let me do it. Um... The other taglines we hear, there's no absolute objective truth. Chris, I don't see postmodernists walking across the freeway and setting up picnic because they know objective truth becomes reality when that truck hits you. You will die. It will hurt. Sounds really good in a classroom setting to throw out all these you know, philosophical ideas. But at some point, what is right? What is good? What is true? And we come back again to the word of God. And God says, look, I am the absolute moral creator of the universe. I set the law. I set the standard. Follow me. Run the race this way and you will win. You run it another way. Now you're off course. You are not going to find the prize over there. But we tend to want to do things our way. The way of the world, as it were. If anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me because I'm great. Now, I would challenge each and every one of you. When I was reading this thinking... Could I boldly say, hey, look, you know what you guys need to do? You know what you guys need to do? You need to practice this by following me. That's a bold statement, right? That's a very bold statement. But think about this for a second. The things you have learned and received, being true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, being in prayer, rejoicing all the time, not being anxious, 
being under self-control, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, all this stuff that we've been talking about, what I want you to do that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Catch this now because it's really easy to say, oh, whoa, Paul's a really good guy. The application here, though, is for you to be able to do this as well. For you to be able to look at your children and say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. For you to look at your, your spouse and go, hey, I will leave. I will leave and, and, and do what's right here. In business, in your neighborhood, right? Because why? We're again, we're supposed to be that light to the world. They're supposed to see the Lord in us. And so... Because we practice this, because we run this kind of race, we can say, follow me. And if you do, if you do, the God of peace shall be with you. Could you imagine saying to that neighbor, that coworker, that family member, you know what you need to do? If you follow me the way I follow Christ, you're going to have the peace of God's going to be with you. You should be able to say that. You really should. Not because you're so awesome, but because in Christ, in Christ, the way Christ is, comes out in you. The way I forgive people, I can only do because Christ has taught me how to forgive people. The way I love people, I only understand what love is, is because Christ has defined what love is. The way I serve people, I only understand that because of how Christ served. On the cross for me, sacrificial service, humility type service, right? That's what we're talking about. It's all in Christ. It all turns back to Christ. And if you do that, then I do promise you the peace of God. That's why we can look at our neighbors and say, look, I have the secret. I have the secret. It's Jesus Christ. And you've seen that in me. You've seen my trials. You've seen my struggles. You see how I respond. Not again because I'm so awesome and amazing. Because all I'm, do all I'm doing is follow. I've got this playbook. Why do you think my family's, you know, good and kind and, and, and better than everybody else on the block? Well, it's because we actually practice what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and give repeat. We, we just follow this. That's all. Well, why do you think that, you know, we have joy in and, and, and our lives and our heart? And it's like, well, you know, we just follow, you know, Philippians 2 says, you know, in order to make my joy complete, if you really want to be happy, well, then, you know what? Uh, don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit. But the humility of mind, regard others more important than yourself. See, none of that is, 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 and I'm not talking about my family. I'm just saying me. None of this is me. This is Christ in me. All of us should be able to point to that. And even in our in our failure and in our sin say, you know what? I have sinned. I have failed. And this is what I do when I do it. I turn back to Christ. I repent. I confess. And I lean on Christ. And so he says, again, going back to, well, how does this practically play out? 
but I, verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, now at last, you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before you lacked opportunity. Remember, he's in prison. Verse 11, not that I speak from want. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. See, some of us think it's because, oh, we're too poor. You know, we hear this on the, on the news every day, right? You, 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 you can't be moral and you can't get good grades because you're too poor. Um, because you're a certain race. If they really thought about what they're saying and how condescending that is, it's really incredible that they're able to make these statements. Um, but here's Paul. It says, look, not that I speak from want, because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. He's done both. He's done both. He's been wealthy and he's been poor in prison. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. How do you stand firm? Be faithful, whether you have a lot or nothing. Being faithful has nothing to do with, with, with your, your financial bottom line. Nothing. has nothing to do with how whether you have much or little. Do you realize in the history of mankind, most people have been dirt poor? And I'm talking literally dirt poor. Without electricity, without running water, dirt poor. We are so fortunate, so lucky. We should then learn and understand this concept of, of being content. How do we stay faithful? By staying content. It, this idea of contentment goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. It's a mental thing. You mentally set your mind right. You mentally set your mind being able to rejoice in whatever circumstance you have. And again, I say rejoice. I don't care how bad it is. Rejoice and be content. Do not allow yourself to be discontent because when you do that, then you start coveting what others have. Whatever it is, their donkey, their land, their, their wife, whatever. Thou shalt not covet anything. How do we not covet? Because we've learned the art of contentment. Because we're able to stand firm by being faithful. And then finally, the, 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 the key pin in this, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Context is so important. And so many times, and, and you may have noticed already in, in just this chapter, we can do sermons on, on words in this chapter and, and single verses in this chapter because there's so much in this chapter. But one of them is this idea of I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Clearly that means you can hit home runs and score touchdowns, right? I mean, it's got it right there. I can do all things. I mean, touchdown something, a home run something, and, and strength and power. Beautiful. I'm gonna write that verse on my wristband, and uh, you know, I'm gonna tape it on my on my. I'm gonna make bracelets out of it. Remember the context, right? This is why context. This is why you go back home and you read Philippians one all the way straight through. It doesn't take long at all because when we we come here. And we start saying, look, you can do all things. Well, all things includes 
whether you have a little or nothing. All things includes, well, when there's disharmony. All things includes when the race gets hard, when there's sufferings, right? All these different things that happen in the race of life. All those things, you can make it through. How? 21 times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I'm not very smart, but I can remember that. I can do all things in Christ. And that's exactly what it says. I can do all things through Him. And what's He going to do? He's going to fix it all overnight. He's going to give me whatever I want. No. He's going to allow you to stand firm. He's going to give you the strength that you need to finish the race. It's still going to be a hard race. Races are hard. That's why they make them. And if they're easy, then they tweak them to make them to where they are hard. It's when I, you know, I mentioned the, the, the bicycle race, the Tour de France. And one of the amazing things is they've been doing this race for you know, about 100 years. And each course has different courses. You know what they do every year? They try to figure out a way to make it even harder for the rider. Life is hard. But you know what? You can make it through all, all things. How? Through Christ. He will give you the strength to finish the race. And so, when you begin that race, on your mark, get set, and you're getting ready to go, you know, you reach over there and you put on your headband, you know, and it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because you're going to start this race with the proper perspective then I'm going to find joy in this race. I'm going to find joy. And, and the steps and the different benchmarks and the ways I, I'm going to go about this and make it through the struggle. And part of them is, look, I'm united with other believers in fellowship and we can do this together, right? And for me, I'm going to start with the perspective of doing nothing from selfishness but with the humility of mind. That's how I'm going to finish this race. That's how I'm going to run a good race. That's how this race is going to be fun and full of joy. And so Philippians 4 then gives us a great blueprint for living life, for living life. So if you want to live a happy, joyful life, write these things on your heart. And whatever's true, whatever's honorable and right and pure and lovely and good repute and excellent worthy of praise let your mind dwell on these things let's pray